Sun Life Community Church came into being as the result of a compelling vision for a different kind of church, interested in what we call the Sun Life, experiencing and sharing the life of God's Son. Perhaps your heart is burdened these days. We invite you to allow the Word of God through the words of this message to bring rest to your soul and joy to your heart. Now let's us bow before Him. Heavenly Father, we, we have brought to You our praise today. We've brought to You our surrender of heart and mind. The circumstances of our life we've, we've laid before You and we've once again trusted You with them and have settled our hearts by means of that trust. And now, Father, we ask You to bring something to us. Bring us insights from Your Word. Bring us understanding. Bring us an awareness of how You've worked in the lives of others, and therefore You can work in ours in that same way. You can be our strength, even as You were theirs. So, Father, bless this word now that we're about to read, we're about to study, we're about to examine and explain. Guide us by your Spirit, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Today's anniversary message grows right out of last week's message. It's almost like God prepared for us to do it right now and had this whole scripture just lined up according to our calendar. Now, here was last week's key scripture. It's the first part of James 5, chapter, or chapter 5, verse 13, and today's going to be the second part of James chapter 5, verse 13. But here's last week's scripture, the first part of that 13th verse. Is anyone in trouble? I think everybody here last week answered yes. Trouble of some sort. Some of you, as I look around, weren't even here last week because you were in trouble. And you're trying to get over it. And praise God, you're here this morning. So that is good. James recognized this is a broken world. Trouble happens. Because this is no longer the world God created. In fact, we saw last week, this is a world that God himself felt the need to curse. The earth itself. It's not anything like the paradise he created. So when James says, is anyone in trouble... He was anticipating a a uniform yes. And so then James says, he, she, should pray if you're in trouble. For heaven's sakes, if you're a child of God, what else would you do? But frequently, we think of all other kinds of things to do. And James just says, if you're in trouble, you should pray. And as we saw last week, at such a time when we're in trouble, when we become aware of the trouble that we're in, We should pray biblically sound, optimistically phrased prayers. Prayers of faith and hope. Now, I imagine some of us have had an opportunity to pray such prayers even this last week. You've taken advantage of what you learned last week. And in the midst of an unexpected situation this week, you have prayed and, and admitted to God, confessed, recognized that trouble is part of actually his program for life in this fallen world. And you've prayed, recognizing that. 
You've also prayed recognizing that that very troublesome time can draw you closer to God, can build things into you that easy times don't build into you. And so then you've surrendered yourself in the situation and asked that God would work out his will within you and that your petitions would be consistent with his plan for you. Maybe you got to go through all of that even this week. Now today's verse, today's key scripture, as I said, comes from that very same passage, that very same verse. Last week we looked at the first part of James 5.13, and today we're going to look at the second part of it. And I believe that today's part can only be understood if it remains tightly linked to what preceded it. Here's today's key scripture, James 5, second part of verse 13. James says, is anyone happy? Who would admit to it this morning? Anybody happy? Dave is hoping he's going to be happy by the end of the day. But who knows? Who knows? Actually, he was happy on Thursday night, weren't you? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Is anyone happy, James says? Let him sing songs of praise. If you're in trouble, pray. If you're happy, things are going well, well, man, just praise God. We sang, God is good. He's good. And when something like that of his nature bursts into our life, sing songs of praise. Now, I got to say to you, what we're calling happiness, because the title of this message is Handling Happiness. And if we just left it like that, And if we wanted to get into some sort of psychological counseling sort of situation this morning, we could probably point out how people don't always handle happiness well. You can get so happy about something, you do something stupid. Handling happiness. But then beyond that, we got to say this term that James uses, that I'm using the word happiness, and the NIV translates happy, is a, is a very unique term in the New Testament. It's only used three times. So it's hard to go through all, say, 50 usages and figure out kind of in con- what does it mean? There's only three examples in the whole New Testament, one of them being right here in James. So I'm going to give you a, a definition that we start out with here. We'll see how this works together. Happiness. And let's link the whole verse into this definition, the first part and the second part. And define happiness this way, the feeling that comes once trouble has been overcome or avoided or simply survived. (sighs) Trouble came, I prayed. (laughs) And that trouble was either overcome or it didn't turn out to be what I thought it was going to be. So I kind of avoided what I was afraid of. Or maybe I just survived it. I just survived it. But there's a feeling in me that uh, you say, well, I'm trying to put a word on that. What is this feeling? (laughs) You know, just I got through. 
happy. It makes me feel happy. That word, the Greek term that James is using, no doubt includes elements of delight, relief, renewed trust, and faith. It is a great feeling to have. So there we have it. James is saying, first comes trouble, then comes prayer, then comes this happy experience, this feeling. Now, I'm sure we can see in the context there, this is not some giddy exuberance. This is not some giggly expression of delight, like a a little baby in the crib with arms and legs just going, and, and you say, boy, is she happy. Now, we're not getting into that. What James is talking about here is a very special inner quality and recognition of God's intervention in one's life and the feeling that that awareness brings. So James can say, anybody feeling like that? Anybody feeling like that? Let him sing songs of praise. Now, this word, this term, this circumstance is actually only addressed three times as I mentioned in the New Testament. And it's, of course, not the word that is translated in the New Testament as joy. That's there lots of times. Or delight. It's not even the the phrase that Jesus used again and again and again that's translated good cheer. Be of good cheer. He said to people as he solved their problems, the woman that he healed, be of good cheer. Your faith has healed you. Jesus used that one a lot, but he didn't use this term ever. You see, I'm saying today what James is talking about is a happiness that arises from God's handling of the troubles that descend upon us in life. It's used here in James without any context to it, really. And it's used twice in the book of Acts, with lots of context. And so this morning I'm suggesting we use that account in the book of Acts to establish what, what really is, uh, is James talking about and what is it that we should learn how to handle and anticipate handling in our lives. It's in Acts chapter 7, or excuse me, 27, and it takes up the whole chapter. In fact, the story takes up a little bit of chapter 28 too. You could tell that a historian wrote the book of Acts. Luke was a historian. He was a doctor. He was an educated person. He, when he started the book of Luke, he said, I have carefully researched all these things. Well, you could tell this is a story told by somebody who researched it. He could tell you how many nails there were in the ship they were driving. So a lot of of detail there we're going to look at. Acts chapter 27, verses 1 to 44, it's an example there of how this kind of happiness, this situation occurs in real life. And it's within a story. So we have a context and we say, oh, I, I see. I see what they're getting at here. 
it's a situation we need to kind of define the word by more than just the dictionary. So in this chapter, Acts chapter 27, Luke, who is the writer of the book of Acts, spells out in great detail this incredible story. And it's the story of the Apostle Paul's sea voyage from Rome, or to Rome, excuse me, to stand trial in Caesar's court. The trip actually begins in Jerusalem. And then Caesarea, where the king of the Jews has his, uh, his court. And the Jewish leaders are finding Paul to be guilty of all kinds of things. Blasphemy. They would like to put him to death the same way they put Jesus to death. And in the midst of that trial, which had the Roman governor there observing, Paul says, I appeal to Caesar. That's like saying appealing to the United States Supreme Court. I appeal to Caesar. These people have no charges against me. This is not a religious problem. They have no charge against me, really. And I want Caesar to decide that they have no charge against me. They're way on a line. So I appeal to Caesar. Problem was, Caesar was all the way over in Rome, all the way across the Mediterranean Sea. A long, long trip. You could only get there by boat. And Paul is heading there. And they want to get there, the people in charge. In fact, Paul was put under the authority of a Roman centurion. Paul was taken into almost like a, a kind of arrest. He had freedom, but he was under the authority of a Roman centurion as they head out on this incredible trip. A trip that became a most troublesome trip. I'd encourage you to read the whole chapter this afternoon. I could stand up here and read the whole chapter for us this morning. But you read the whole chapter. We're going to make highlights of it as we go along. Luke wrote with an incredible attention to detail. He also wrote as a skillful storyteller. He puts us right on the ship with the Apostle Paul. In fact, as you read it this afternoon, you might find your stomach getting a little queasy. You're right there. So I've listed the highlights for us this morning. Paul and his party, as I said, were under Roman jurisdiction. A centurion was responsible to get them to Rome. Now here was the problem. It was late in the year. The best time to make trips across the Mediterranean Sea would be in the summertime. The early fall. The closer it got to winter, the winter storms came. The Mediterranean was no longer as smooth a, a thing. And most people just didn't take long journeys by ship late in the year. This was pretty late in the year. It's right on the borderline. Is it safe to head out on a 600 or 700 mile journey across the Mediterranean to Rome, to Italy? Or not? Well, the owner of the ship, he had stuff he wanted to get to Rome. The pilot of the ship didn't want to sit around waiting forever to get going. He says, I think we can do this. Paul, right at the beginning, said, I, I suspect this might be difficult. It's late in the year. 
but they headed out. And so our story begins with what we have on your outline there, the decision. There was a decision made that we will set out on this long journey late in the year. We will take a chance on having decent weather. How many troubles that come into our life come as a result of our own kind of foolish decisions or risky decisions? People might even say, I don't know if I'd do that. Paul said, we should not do this. Well, what does a preacher know? Captain of the ship says, we're going to do it. The owner of the ship says, we need to do it. The centurion just wants to get these prisoners off his hands and get back to life as he knows it. And so the decision is made. And as they headed out, and as you read through the, the story in, the, in Acts chapter 27, there's several starts and stops and they hit along, they moved along the coastlines and stopped here and stopped there and stopped somewhere else. But finally time came, they had to hit out to the open sea. And as they were out there on the open sea, a storm came. A storm that completely overwhelmed them. The ship had no way of making its way through this storm. They dropped their sea anchors to try to just sort of stay in place. But it says this storm that Paul calls, or Luke calls, a northeaster. Any of you who've ever lived on the East Coast, you know that occasionally from the New England states area, there can blow down a winter storm called a nor'easter that is just unlike anything you've ever seen. That would be your storm of the century. That'd be your, your winter snowstorm. That would be an incredible rainstorm. And Luke says, a nor'easter blew upon us and the ship was just driven along for 14 days. They had no way of even controlling where they went. They were just powering on through just grateful that they're staying afloat. Some troubles are like that. They come upon you and none of your normal tricks of the trade work. None of your sea anchors that you put down to kind of keep you stable uh, really are strong enough to hold you in place. And you're just being blown along. You're, you're just being driven before the wind. You're just sitting there and desperately hoping that it'll blow itself out and you'll get a fresh start somehow. That's what was happening to them. See, James would say, even when troubles are like that, pray anyway. Even when you don't say, you don't even have a solution to give God. Oh God, help me do this, or let this happen, or let this... You don't even have a clue how this thing might be resolved. But James says, is anyone in trouble? Well, pray. I tell you, those fellows were praying to every God they ever heard of. It's a desperate time. In fact, they were so just in distress, that Paul says at one point to the men, you have not eaten anything for 14 days. 
while they were just be driving, driven along. It's like, how could we even sit down and make a meal? And why would we even feel like eating? Because probably before it digests, we're going to be dead. Fourteen days, they were in terror. These are soldiers. These are sailors. These are experienced people who are just way beyond. They had no ability to cope with what they were being hit by. The storm completely overwhelmed them. Then, in the midst of the storm, after the 14 days of just being driven before the wind, they weren't even sure where they were in the Mediterranean. They were just hoping to maybe find an island somewhere. Has to be land somewhere. They were far from the mainland. But in that midst, after those 14 incredible days, terrifying days, Paul gives a word. And he says to them, keep up your courage. I would imagine a bunch of them were saying, what courage? I haven't felt courageous now for a long time. Keep up your courage. It's like saying, don't lose heart. What is this preacher? What's his frame of reference? Why is he telling us this is not as bad as it looks? Keep up your courage. That's verse 22. Verse 25, he says the same thing. Keep up your courage. For I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Verse 22, he said, keep up your courage. Not one of you will be lost. Not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. What a good word. How is it the ship will be destroyed, but not one of us will be lost? And what does this guy know about anything anyway? So a little bit later, Paul says again, keep up your courage for God has told me and I have faith in God that it will happen exactly as he told me. Now, the phrase that Paul uses in this place for keep up your courage is the same Greek phrase that James used to say, is anybody happy? He could have said, is anybody feeling good and strong and courageous? Is anybody in a position where you feel secure? You feel under God's blessing? Well, let him sing songs of praise. Paul is saying, men, I feel secure in the blessings of God. I feel confident that what God has said is going to happen, so you piggyback along with me and keep up your courage. It would be a little bit too much for Paul to have said some, so stay happy. That's a, that's a little bit right in your face. But keep up your courage when they are scared to death is a, is a big enough challenge to them. But Paul says God's involved in this. 
We're in a troublesome time. We are in a desperate situation. God has revealed to me this whole ship is going to be destroyed. It's not like the wind is going to stop and we're just going to sail right into harbor and everything will be fine. This ship is going to be destroyed, but not one of us is going to be lost. God has revealed that to me. So you take heart. You keep up your courage. If they were all a bunch of born-again believers, they might say, well, let's just praise God. No matter what it looks like, we're going to survive this. No matter what it looks like, it's going to be all right. No matter what it looks like, we can have joy in our heart, even while the wind is, uh, if we look at the wind and the waves, we'll be just like Peter trying to walk on the water. But be of good cheer. Keep up your courage. Even go so far as to say, you're going to look back upon this and say that we... We had that feeling, whatever word we want to put on it, we had that feeling that God was intervening in a way that is going to make this into a positive thing in our lives. So that was the word given. And then came the shipwreck, because the ship was destroyed. Paul says, you haven't eaten for 14 days, let's have a great meal here. And they had, a, they had a meal. And then they threw all the rest of the food overboard. Last meal they had. We have to lighten the ship as much as we can. They threw everything overboard they could throw off. And then the ship moves on. Paul had even told them, we need to run aground somewhere. And they found saw a little island. And they headed toward that island as best they could. They were just, it had a sandy beach, Luke says. And they were just going to run that ship right into and up that sandy beach and get it stuck and jump off and at least be on dry land. And they didn't make it to the sandy beach. There were some sandbars out there right under the water and they actually ran into the sandbar and the front of the ship, the bow of the ship got stuck. And the waves were so powerful on the tail end of the ship, the stern of the ship, that it began to just break apart. And some of the soldiers who were there said, let's kill all these prisoners, because Paul wasn't the only one. And the centurion who had taken a liking to Paul said, we're not going to do that. And maybe he was really believing Paul's word that not one of us will be lost. And so he he saved them. And then they gave this command to the men. All of you who can swim, jump overboard and swim to shore. Didn't tell us how far they were. And all the rest of you grab a hunk of wood or a plank or something that's floating and just hold on. And God permitted every one of them to reach land. Not one man was lost. You might say God never lets his will be defeated. Never. Not the forces of nature. Not the uh, strategies of the devil. Not the human heart. God never allows his will to be defeated. And they all arrive safely just as uh, 
Paul said they would. And I got to believe they all felt what James was calling happy. We're here. Don't know how in the world this worked out, but there's that feeling that we have been delivered from something horrible. The interesting thing was, you read through that chapter, Paul got to that island, which was Malta, and Paul just had a ministry you wouldn't believe had a ministry of healing, said everybody who was sick on that island came to Paul and they were healed in the name of Jesus Christ. It was an incredible ministry. Is anyone happy? James asks, has anyone been delivered from a troublesome time? He says, if you have, then you know, you know what I'm meaning by this word I'm using. It's that God has intervened. God is, I've been delivered, or I've survived, or maybe even prevented, saved from. And it's an awesome thing. James says, if that's, if that's the case, you become a singer of a song of praise. Here's an instruction that Moses gave way back in Deuteronomy chapter 10. Where the nation was being founded, Moses said this, Deuteronomy 10.21, He, God, He is the one you praise. He is your God who performed for you those great and awesome wonders you saw with your own eyes. He's talking to the people who were delivered from Egypt by great and powerful works of God. And he says, He is the one you praise. Don't let me catch you praising anything else. Worshipping anything or anyone else. He is the one you praise. And then King David, as he wrote the Psalms, Psalm 52, verse 9, David says this, For what you have done, speaking to God, for what you have done, I will always praise you in the presence of your faithful people. It's one thing to praise God privately. When you're the king, it's a good thing to praise God publicly so that everybody knows the king is praising the almighty God who is the one who's done these things. The king hasn't done them. God has done them. And we praise him. And when you've really come through stuff, you feel like praising, don't you? When you've really come through stuff, when God has really provided strength in the midst of what you felt was your weakness, when God has brought you through, enabled you to hang in there through whatever the troublesome time was, and he's developed perseverance in you, he's developed character in you, he's filled you even with a new sense of hope in his plan and his love and his wisdom and his greatness. When you have felt that, you could come up with your own word for it. Is it happy? Is it delighted? James used a word that <laughs> nobody else in the New Testament used. Paul used it to, to actually buck up some people who were afraid for their lives. But when you feel it, you know it. And when you feel it, you want to just turn your heart and mind toward, toward God above who has provided for you, who's been faithful to his promise. And so our final thought today says this, for when you're in that situation, you, you feel like just singing. And we say here, the song of one 
who has found God's grace to be all that the scripture says it is, that song is a melody like no other. Handling happiness well is a skill and a witness. And we want the story told. We want the story told of how God has brought us from point A to point B. Sometimes it's, it's been rather smooth. They could have taken that, that sailing ship out in the middle of the summer. Probably would have just gotten to Rome, no problem. Sometimes it's not so smooth. Circumstances force us to step out when the conditions aren't exactly perfect. And we wind up in a mess. And our testimony is that God has brought us through that time. God provided what we needed. God strengthened us in ways we didn't think we could ever be. And we are praising him. And there's a testimony that others hear and can be affected by. That's what we want to have individually. That's what we want to have as a church. A testimony of how God's grace has brought us through and a testimony that others are affected by. Our Heavenly Father, now we we thank you for bringing to us at various moments in our lives individually and as a church, bringing us to moments that, that James called happy, grateful, incredibly uh, appreciated moments to look at back and say, God has delivered me in response to prayer and trust. God has delivered me. God has delivered us and brought us to a place of joy and a place of fruitfulness. And Father, we would, we would continue that. We want to be known as your people unsullied, honest, truthful, simple people following after Jesus Christ. So Father, when there is trouble and when is there not, we will pray. We will bring ourselves before you. We will acknowledge the difficulty We will acknowledge you as the great wise one who can even work through trouble and frequently permits trouble to come that that we, we might grow in our faith. And even the church here might be deepened in its witness. So Father, we will recognize that. We will confess it. We will rely upon it. And Father, we will rejoice when the evidence comes. So Father, fill us. Fill us with the happiness that says our God has intervened and is working on our our behalf through all things. And we trust him. We love him. And we rejoice in what he's doing. We ask this now in Jesus' name. We hope this message has inspired you to live the sun life together with us. If you are near Apple Valley, California this weekend, we invite you to join us in person Sunday morning or through our live broadcast. 
All the details are on our website at sunlifecommunitychurch.com.